Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anyone here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome. Welcome back, everyone else. Welcome to anybody joining us at home online in our Zoom group. Um, I'd like to start class by asking you to talk to each other a little bit in service of Against the Stream, a, a group like this being not just a place to meditate and learn about Buddhism, but to develop some connections with other meditators, the important one of the important aspects of Buddhism is taking refuge in community and, and coming to understand that all of what Buddhism teaches is relational. That's about how we relate. You know, so much of the meditation teachings are about how we relate to our own minds and, and experience in the world. Um, but then there's um, really central teachings about speech and action and livelihood and uh, sexuality and just all of the human experience and how we show up with each other and um, the importance of having friends in our lives knowing people who are also trying to be more wise more compassionate more loving more kind and hopefully this is the kind of place whether you're with us on online in zoom uh, or here in person in, in the center where you can meet some other like-minded people to connect with and to support you in this endeavor of developing wisdom. I'm going to talk about mindfulness tonight and uh, explain some of the Buddha's teachings and some of my perspectives and experience of how mindfulness is transformative and why it's transformative. Um, and so I'd like to ask you to get into small groups, introduce yourself to a couple people in the room that you don't know, maybe just groups of three, four at the most at home. I'll, I'll open the, the Zoom uh, discussion breakout rooms and uh, introduce yourself and talk just for a minute or so about uh, what benefits you've seen from being mindful. Now, maybe some of you are brand new and you haven't really started yet, so it's a hard question to answer. You're not sure. Uh, but maybe it's what you've heard is beneficial or why you're interested in learning mindfulness-based meditation uh, techniques. And, and most of you have been meditating for some time and, and understand and can reflect on, uh, it's helping me in these ways, or I'm seeing these benefits from being mindful. Um, I hope that's a, uh, you know, enough of an intro. So go ahead, small groups, talk about your experience with mindfulness, and then we'll come back and we'll meditate. There's been a, um, a few uh, kind of studies or investigations of uh, what set the Buddha apart from the traditional Indian uh, Vedic system, what we call Hinduism. Uh, what was um, original to the teaching of, of Siddhartha? Uh, a lot of, when you study Indian thought, there's a lot of similarities between some of the ancient uh, Vedas and um, Upanishads, you know, stuff like karma is an Indian 
perspective that uh, pre predated the Buddha, but he included karma in his teachings and reincarnation, rebirth, something that predated the Buddha, but it's included in, in Buddhism. Uh, and one of the uh, main things, there's like three or four things, but what we're going to talk about tonight, that uh, the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, the person that we call the Buddha, uh, created, discovered, uh, in some of the teachings, he said, I rediscovered this ancient technique. But really, um, what we call mindfulness is um, something that the Buddha, we could say, created. It didn't exist uh, it doesn't exist in any of the other spiritual teachings that predate him, none of the meditation techniques that he learned um, from his Hindu guru yoga teachers. There was no mindfulness in yoga. There was no uh, mindfulness in Hinduism. It was something that the Buddha uh, created and discovered. Um, now, we are at a place, and you know, this is 2,600 years ago, and now we're at a place in, in history where mindfulness has become a buzzword and it's, you know, on the cover of Newsweek and it's on the, you know, every app and, uh, you know, it's infiltrated Western psychology and medicine and, and our language. It has become like this sort of like mindfulness is just like a thing. Um, Sebastian sent me a uh, Instagram thing that he saw today uh, as that he was, you know, kind of sent it to me as a joke, some app that claims to teach you how to mindfully drink alcohol, you know, and, um, you know, this sort of like, it's become this thing, like you can mindfully do anything, um, even maybe things that aren't so healthy, <laughs> uh, so skillful. So I want to talk about mindfulness comes in the Eightfold Path as the seventh factor of uh, the Buddha's path to awakening. And there's four sections of mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness. And it's what I'm pretty much every week, we're practicing mindfulness in here, but I thought I would tonight take a little bit of a deeper dive into what are the teachings, the application and the benefits and, and how can we truly um, develop mindfulness in our meditation practice and then ultimately in our, in our daily lives. So I'll give some meditation instructions and then we'll discuss this and I'll give a talk about it after the sitting period. So the first instruction is find a, a way to sit that is upright. You wanna sit up straight, but also relaxed. So find that balance in your posture where you're upright, but relaxed, not rigid or stiff. And then when you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed gently and taking a moment to release, relax, settle. Settling the posture, coming into stillness, arranging the posture where your hands are resting. Your body is supported by the cushion or the chair and release any unnecessary tension in the face. If your jaw is clenched, release it, let your tongue rest in the palate. Let your eyes be soft, your brow. Neck and shoulders 
All the places that we hold tension, see if you can just soften. Tension is often resistance and part of what we're trying to do in mindfulness is to not resist, to open to what's happening rather than resisting it. Establishing mindfulness, practicing mindfulness is bringing awareness to the present, present time, non-judgmental awareness. What's happening right now in your heart, your mind, your body, bringing awareness to the present time, experience of the sense doors, sounds you're aware of, smell, taste, what's being seen behind the closed eyelids, shape, color, light. Present time, non-judgmental awareness of your direct experience. Right now it feels like this in the body, in the heart, emotions, what's happening, what kind of joy or sorrow, sadness or grief is present, anxiousness, sleepiness, what's here right now? And is the mind thinking about something, plans, memories? Cravings, judgments, bringing awareness to the mind. Present time, non-judgmental, embodied awareness, physical, emotional, mental, presence. The Buddha encouraged to spend some time in the beginning of mindfulness meditation to focus the attention on the sensations that the breath creates. Disengaging from the mind, bring full attention into the body, the first foundation of mindfulness. He said, breathing in one nose, I breathe in. Breathing out one nose. This is what it feels like to exhale. Spend a few minutes bringing your full attention to the sensation of your breath. Where do you feel it? The belly, the chest, the nostrils.
There's an aspect to mindfulness that is investigation, inquiry, observing, bringing a sense of curiosity. What does the breath feel like right now? Where do I feel it? And although it's not traditionally part of the instruction, I find that mindfulness works best when we bring an attitude of kindness and intention to be accepting, friendly, kind, and compassionate towards our experience. So that the non-judgmental awareness doesn't become too dry or clinical, that we bring a heartful friendliness to the meditation practice. Remembering that meditation is an act of kindness, an act of generosity towards ourselves. Be useful to note in as you breathe in, out as you exhale, tracking the experience. And refine the attention to try to experience the beginning and middle and end of each half breath, just the inhale. Just the exhale, we're refining, focusing the attention Letting everything else be in the background. Focused awareness on the sensations of breathing as the foreground of our attention. And of course it's part of the practice that the awareness gets drawn back into thinking. So for this first part, we disengage from the thoughts, come back to the breath over and over. Keep returning to the breath, noting in, out.
First foundation continues from the narrow focus on the breath, becoming aware of the whole body, all of the sensations in your fingers and toes, arms and legs, trunk of the body, front and back, head and face. What sensations are you feeling right now? Contact with the chair, the cushion hands resting in your lap or on your legs. The Buddha offers a reflection that this body is made up of so many parts, skin, bones, Become aware of your skin, become aware of the skeleton as much as you can, all of the organs, the digestive system, the arteries and veins, heart and lungs, lymphatic system, nervous system, Become aware of not just a body, but all of the parts. He lists 32 parts of this physical form. As much as you can, remembering your anatomy lessons, reflecting on this body with the liver and spleen and stomach and intestines. with cartilage, tendons, the skeleton covered with flesh. flesh covered with skin.
What makes you know that you're alive right now? What are the signs of life? The breath, the heartbeat. the awareness of the sense doors. In the first foundation, the Buddha also says, becoming aware of life with each breath, also become aware of the truth of impermanence, this body, that is subject to sickness and aging and death. Take a moment to remember death, to reflect on the, this body's impermanence, and decay. This body that's so much alive right now eventually becomes a corpse. Mindfulness of death, present time, kind awareness towards the truth of impermanence of this physical form. Returning to an embodied present time awareness, feel your breath, feel your posture. And investigate in your body right now, what is feeling pleasant? Is there any pleasant sensations here? Scan your attention through your body, investigating what is pleasant in this moment, if anything. Any pleasant sensations? And then investigating what is unpleasant. Is there any discomfort? Sitting still for a few minutes. Anything painful or unpleasant, uncomfortable? Bringing non-judgmental awareness to anything unpleasant right now. And as we continue to attempt to stay present in the body, here, how much of your physical sensations are neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? How much of the body can you feel? But it doesn't feel painful or pleasurable, just is, just sensation. 
How about the sensation of the breath itself? Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? So far, we've been trying to ignore our thinking minds. The thoughts continue in the background. This part of mindfulness is turning our attention towards the mind rather than ignoring it or beginning to observe, to include the thoughts in your present time, non judgmental kind awareness. Investigating and observing what the mind is thinking about. Plans, memories, fantasies. How much of it is hope? How much of it is fear? Worrying? Recollecting? What's your mind up to? As you become aware of what the mind is doing, whether it's planning, craving, worrying, also investigating the feeling tone, is that thought pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? What's happening in your mind and how does it feel? What's the feeling tone of these thoughts? 
what's happening emotionally in the mind, in the body, pleasant emotions, unpleasant emotions. Recognizing the impermanent nature of all of the sensations in the body, all of the thoughts in the mind, all of the emotions in the heart, arising and passing constantly, changing. When we bring awareness, we in real time see impermanence. Lastly, we open to the fourth foundation. What's true about this present time experience? Is there any suffering right now? Where are you experiencing suffering, stress, uneasiness, unhappiness? The first noble truth. And can you see, can you identify, bring mindfulness to the craving or the clinging or aversion that's creating that suffering, that unhappiness? What are we resisting? What are we holding on to? And can you let go? Can you relinquish <coughs> the resistance or the attachment that's causing uneasiness, stress, suffering in this moment? Perhaps softening the belly. Opening the heart, the mind, it's just pain, tolerating it rather than resisting it.
as we turn towards the mind, sometimes we see all of the hindrances, the craving, the aversion, the restlessness, torpor, and doubt. Sometimes we begin to see the awakening factors, equanimity in the heart and mind, tranquility. joy Mindfulness receives the present time experience of sensation, emotion, thought, the sense doors. As you hear the bell, don't stop being mindful. Continue as you open your eyes, present time awareness of seeing, present time awareness of moving, maybe stretching, bring awareness to uh, how the feeling tone changes if you're uncomfortable and you shift your posture. Where's the discomfort go?
how does it change? How's your awareness change as eyes open versus closed? As you move around, stretch, whatever feels good. There is a different quality of mindfulness from a formal eyes closed sitting meditation to uh, when we open our eyes and we're uh, kind of more more in relationship again with the people around us and the space we're in and but it is part of the goal for there to be less um, less difference more integration of this kind of present time awareness even with our eyes open even uh, in conversation, in activity. And we do the sitting meditation to train our minds to be here and to be investigating and curious and open. And, um, but we want to bring that not, you know, we don't want, we don't want meditation to be something that we're only doing in a rarefied uh, form, only when you're sitting still. But that ultimately mindfulness, uh, and I'll talk about, you know, is, is to be practiced in all aspects of our lives. My sense is without a formal mindfulness training, meditation practice, you can't do it. You know, these apps that say, just be mindful all of the time and, you know, be mindful when you're drinking or whatever they, uh, it's not actually possible without a meditation practice. Mindfulness is... Um, a serious skill. It's not just an idea. It's not just something that we can do. It's a serious skill that we need to develop that is um, foreign. It's not natural. It's unnatural. It's foreign to the normal human condition. It takes a lot of effort to uh, develop and maintain the kind of mindfulness that will alleviate suffering, that will be transformative in our lives. And uh, my sense is, you know, we throw this term mindfulness around, um, but that actual mindfulness is wisdom and it's a deep wisdom and it's a direct wisdom practice that isn't just a casual, yeah, I'm sort of paying attention as I go out through my day. It's I'm really closely paying attention. And, and beginning to see more and more clearly uh, reality. I gave a lot of instructions tonight. I don't always give all of the instructions, but I thought since I wanted to talk about mindfulness tonight, I'd give you, and I, I actually had to leave some stuff out or else I would have been guiding the whole time. But in the four foundations of mindfulness, there's a lot in there. When the Buddha says, here's how to be mindful, here's the four aspects. In that first foundation, there's the breath and body, which is where we usually, you know, most of us are familiar with mindfulness of breathing. But it's only one aspect of the first foundation the Buddha starts with. He says, take a seat, be, you know, establish that upright posture, and then bring awareness to the sensations of the breath, breathing in, know you're breathing in, breathing out, know you're breathing out.
where that's just the beginning point. And technically, when we're focusing uh, this narrow attention on the sensations of the breath, we call it mindfulness of breathing. But technically, we're concentrating. We're choosing to focus our awareness and exclude everything else for the most part. Ignoring our minds. Last week we talked about, uh, I talked about, um, you know, these sort of three different phases of meditation. One is learning to ignore that folk, that first paying attention to your breath, learning to ignore your mind and the relief that we get from learning to ignore our minds feels so good because our minds are creating most of our suffering. So that narrow focus, ignore your mind, come back to your breath is the beginning of the first foundation. But it's concentration practice. Anytime we are, I don't know if you have this question, but it's an, I think it's an important distinction to understand and confusing because we use the term mindfulness sometimes when we really mean concentration. Concentration is directing your attention to one thing and ignoring everything else, concentrating your attention, focusing. A lot of people think that's what meditation is. And it's an aspect, it's one part of it. Mindfulness ultimately, and I gave the definition a bunch of times during the meditation, mindfulness is non-judgmental present time awareness that is really inclusive actually. Where I got to at the end of the instructions, body, emotion, mind states, sense doors, the full human experience, everything, every way that we experience the world and we experience ourselves, mindfulness is inclusive of all of it, ultimate. Concentration is saying, I'm going to choose one aspect of my experience and ignore everything else. I'm going to ignore my mind. I'm going to ignore my emotions. I'm going to ignore my sensations other than this narrow focus. But it's where the Buddha began the instructions. He said, this is a, a useful skill. Uh, in some ways, in some ways, it's thought that some level of concentration, that ability to direct our awareness and, and focus it, is a prerequisite to true mindfulness. What we call vipassana or insight meditation, actually in doing the, all four foundations where we're investigating the feeling tone, we're investigating the mind states, that you have to be somewhat concentrated, present, get your attention has to be somewhat gathered in order to really benefit from that full mindfulness meditation instruction. Now, there's a lot of um, debate within the Buddhist world and different teachers and different traditions of how concentrated do you need to be to really do the mindfulness meditation. The lowest bar that I've heard is that you need to be about as concentrated as it takes to read a paragraph and not lose your place. You know that, right? Like usually you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I can, when I'm reading, I can 
you know, kind of follow along with, you know, those dozen sentences or 20 sentences without getting distracted and like, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> and having to go back and read it again. And I know like sometimes I'm, I'm, I love to read and sometimes I'm reading and I'll find myself at the bottom of the page and be like, I was thinking about something else. I missed half of that. I was not concentrating on that. And I got to go back and start over. Like what just happened in the, I'm losing the plot. <laughs> I'm not concentrated enough. I need to go back and reread it and focus my attention because my mind started wandering. I was thinking about something else. So that pretty low bar, concentrated enough to read and you know, fully understand what you're reading. Now the higher bar, is um, you need to be so concentrated that um, you're completely, you're not distracted by thoughts at all. And you're this single focused attention, you're absorbed in, in the, um, to the point where you have some, you know, maybe you're not even aware of your mind and thought isn't gonna draw you away at all. And you're just absorbed in, it's called the jhanas. You wanna kind of get to that first, second jhana level of, of access uh, concentration and it's sort of a high bar it's one it's one of those things where if that's the case nobody you know hardly anybody that's not like in retreat or you know meditating hours every day is actually able to practice mindfulness some people have this like it's very very high bar to truly be mindful you need to be very concentrated and then shift that concentration into an open investigative inclusive awareness so i tend to think that my own experience with decades of meditation is much more at the lower bar much more at the um kind of you know concentrated enough to read concentrated enough to read my own experience that sort of bringing the attention to reading the breath reading the sensations here present for what i'm giving my attention to for the most part it doesn't mean that the mind uh, that the awareness doesn't get drawn off into thinking but recognizing you know thinking again and being able to pretty easily reconnect one of the other ways to kind of test your first foundation practice your mindfulness of the breath practice is um you counting the breath or like noting in and out or counting the breath, how, how many um, breaths can you count before your attention gets drawn into thinking about something else and you lose count. Uh, one of the interesting ways to do that also is to not just kind of go one, two, three, but to try to count backwards. So that you have to be a bit more, because if you like just, if you're counting one through 10, you can do it mindlessly. Your mind just starts counting in one, out two, in three, out four. But if you count like backwards, say, I'm going to start at eight, breathing in eight, breathing out seven, breathing in six, breathing out five. It, it takes more presence to be like, oh, I have to really be paying attention because I'm counting backwards in a way that uh, I have to be focused in order to stay aware and not lose my place. So that's one way to, to see how concentrated you are. And the first foundation goes beyond, as I did in the instructions tonight, 
beyond just that focused breath awareness concentration to this investigation, uh, mindfulness of the physical body as not just a thing that we're walking around in, but that has 30, the Buddha said 32 parts. And he uses this uh, analogy. He says, just as like a skilled butcher would be able to like, you know, cut open an animal and be like, that's the ribs and that's the thigh and that's the you know, all of the different organs, that kind of internal, I don't know how many of you have taken anatomy classes or ever, uh, you know, kind of looked at the anatomy books of actually turning that awareness towards our ourselves and be like, okay, yeah, there's heart and there's lungs and there's all of these organs and digestive system and the, you know, arteries and veins that are going throughout. And there's a skeleton here being aware of the multiple parts of the body rather than just the body toes and fingers and arms and legs and skin and hair and, and being mindful that there's 32, uh, 32 is a incomplete list of the different parts of the body, but it's what gets listed in the Buddha's meditation instructions. And then from there to the corpse of saying like, okay, I'm here, I'm mindful, I'm very much aware as, mu as much as I can be of life. Each breath is like a sign of I'm, a, I'm, I'm alive, I'm breathing, my heart's beating. And then the instruction comes in to say now, because what's being revealed here is impermanence. The liberating insight that we begin to have as we establish mindfulness, even the first foundation mindfulness of the body is the truth of impermanence. How each breath is constantly changing how each breath is arising and passing. Each sensation in the body is constantly changing. The truth of impermanence. He says, now take that understanding of impermanence and reflect and apply it to your body itself. This body that's very much alive right now as we're meditating is subject to sickness, aging, impermanence, death. And... Um, there's a whole meditation in that first foundation on reflecting on, on the body as a corpse, visualizing a dead body and acknowledging just I'm very much alive right now, but I'm not exempt from death, that this is the destiny of this physical form, that it will die, it will decay, uh, it goes into the different stages of decay until the body is, you know, um, rotting and the flesh is falling off and dissolving and the the four elements that that are this body are um dispersing dissolving into the earth as uh, in the indian tradition um, it's not the kind of death that we are familiar with where the bodies are either quickly sometimes burned there's funeral pyres but um not like the embalming and that i don't know if you've been to any funerals lately where they actually do the whole thing where they try to make you look not dead look make the body look not dead and they embalm it and they put makeup on it and you know display it in the you know 2600 year ago teaching from the buddha he says imagine that the body's just laying on the ground out and open Imagine that it's just naturally decaying, subject to the um, 
elements and that the skin is falling off and that eventually the bones are crumbling, you know, months or years down the line. Mindfulness of impermanence, mindfulness of death. Usually kind of taken as a separate meditation practice, but it's part of the first foundation. The second foundation uh, is the encouragement, the invitation to investigate not just what's happening, the sensations in the body, the sensations of the breath, but what is the feeling tone? Now, the definition of mindfulness being non-judgmental present time awareness. Have you noticed that tendency to kind of judge your experience as good or bad? Like maybe even sometimes you will say like, oh, I had a good meditation. I had a really bad meditation. Or I had a good time. I had a good experience. I had a good day. I had a, or I had a, I had a bad day. It was terrible. I had a really bad experience or our meals or, you know, where often we're um, conflating good and bad with pleasant and unpleasant. And so when, when we define mindfulness as non-judgmental, maybe the easiest way I think to, to think about it is um, good and bad are a judgment. Pleasant and unpleasant are not a judgment, are just our experience. Calling everything unpleasant bad and everything pleasant good is a trap is a trap that leads to a lot of unnecessary suffering in our lives. And probably, probably not that hard for all of us to, on some level, reflect on things that were unpleasant, that we thought were bad, but turned out to be quite good. Can you remember some unpleasant experiences that you had that thought, this is bad. This is fucking terrible. But it ended up being a blessing in your life, a good thing in your life. Uh, there was healing. There was, you know, recovery. There was, I don't know, even something like um, exercising. I don't know how much you like the intense sensations of exercising. But often it's unpleasant, right? When you're really exercising, you know, there's this sort of like you're exercising, like, this is quite unpleasant. But it's not bad, it's actually good. It's like it's an unpleasant experience that's leading to muscle and health and, you know, cardio or whatever it is. It's like this is an experience or, or meditation itself, sitting here, learning to sit still. A lot of people find it quite unpleasant to sit still for 30 minutes. And you can say, well, that's bad. I'm sitting there. I was uncomfortable. It was bad. But as we sat here uh, and are uncomfortable and learn to tolerate our, uh, increase our tolerance for discomfort and learn to have some compassion for pain and tolerance for pain, ultimately, that's such a good thing. Compassion is a good thing good thing. It's desirable. We want to have it. But in order to have compassion, we have to learn to be in pain. We have to turn towards our pain and we have to feel it. 
Likewise, in order to be healthy, you got to do a bunch of stuff that <laughs> doesn't always feel good at the time. Some, some people love it. And I just, I love the sensations of working out or whatever it is. Eating healthy food. It's like, this is disgusting, but I know it's so good for me. Another kale salad. So first foundation is so much about learning to be present in our bodies here and seeing the impermanent nature of sensation. Second foundation, starting to investigate our relationship to pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and identify that um, without judgment, just discernment, my perception of the breath. Like when I asked you in the meditation tonight, what is your, what's the feeling tone of your breath? When you're breathing in and out, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Becoming more awake, more clear uh, about our relationship to pleasure and the reality that almost all of our suffering in life is connected to craving for pleasure and aversion to pain. This is the Buddha's second noble truth. The cause of human suffering is craving. And seeing that in meditation, direct experience of seeing like, yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm uncomfortable and I'm unhappy because I crave for comfort. I'm not good at being with unpleasant sensations. I don't have a lot of tolerance. I don't have a lot of compassion yet. And so my aversion to pain is causing me suffering my craving for pleasure. And this is, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how many people are real new to Buddhist philosophy, but this is the core thing to understand, what Buddhism is offering. What mindfulness, the promise of mindfulness, meditation is that if we train our minds, we will learn to be with pain in a skillful way and not suffer about it. We will learn to be with pleasure in a skillful way to respond wisely to pleasure and not suffer about it. The Buddha's third noble truth, the, the core promise of Buddhism is that it's possible to live a human life, a real life, not some fantasy of enlightenment, but a real life with the pleasures and the pains and the losses and the challenges of life through the training and mindfulness that we can learn to meet it in a way that we don't turn pain into suffering and we don't turn pleasure and craving for pleasure into suffering. The third noble truth says, and you know, it's possible to not suffer that you can have zero suffering and nowhere does it say you will have zero pain. And so again, there's this, the non-judgmental, Awareness is understanding that pain is inevitable at times in our life. It's non-negotiable. You have a nervous system. You will have pain. You have a heart and a mind. You have a body. Pain is a given part of our existence. But our relationship to it is so out of whack. 
we're suffering about it in a way that we don't need to suffer about it. Mindfulness is the intervention that says, if you pay close attention, you can change your relationship to pain. You can learn to accept, to tolerate, to have mercy and compassion for pain. And it's not a problem anymore. It's just painful, painful thoughts, painful sensations, painful emotions, unpleasant. Second foundation, non-judgmental, really unpleasant emotions happening. <laughs> not that it's going to get rid of all unpleasant emotions. Not that it's going to get rid of all physical or mental pain. But mindfulness has the potential to see clearly, learn to tolerate, learn to care about, learn to accept. So second foundation functions in um, two main ways, I think, as we identify what's happening and how it feels, we learn to let go. We see, oh, I'm attached. I asked that question in the meditation tonight. Are, is there any suffering right now? Any unhappiness, any uneasiness, any difficulty going on? If so, can you identify the craving, the clinging, or the aversion that's causing that? Because so often we just say, well, yeah, of course I'm unhappy because I'm uncomfortable. Or I'm anxious, or I'm sad, I've got difficult emotions. Or... And we blame the experience. Rather than what Buddhist mindfulness is inviting us to do, which is it's not about what's happening. It's not the pain that's causing your suffering. It's your relationship to the pain. It's not the craving. It's not the desire for pleasure. That's natural. It's the identification. It's the belief that's causing our unhappiness. It's the confusion that life is supposed to be pleasant or that life needs to be pleasant in order for us to be happy. And waking up to, oh, actually, I can learn to have non-attached appreciation for pleasure. This is the, the second foundation teaching us, let go. Nothing is worth clinging to. If you don't want to suffer, nothing is worth clinging to. It doesn't mean that we don't want to be connected and present and engaged in our relationships and our experiences. but we don't want to suffer in our relationship to pleasure. Mindfulness is teaching us it's impermanent. It's not worth clinging to. It's totally worth enjoying in a non-attached way, in a loving connection rather than a clinging, controlling, hostage-taking <laughs> tendency. Third foundation of mindfulness, inviting us to not just ignore our mind. And this is a place where a lot of meditators get stuck in the uh, concentration phase and the ignoring the mind phase. Or maybe get stuck in the, uh, I'm just going to try to be with the physical, pleasant, unpleasant. 
The third foundation is the invitation. And I kind of I do this because it feels like that to me in my meditation where I'm kind of focused in here and now I'm opening to kind of turn towards what's happening in my mind. What is the brain up to? What kind of thoughts are arising? Plans, memories, hopes, fears, craving, aversion, judgments, resentments, non-judgmental present time awareness of our mind states, of the mental formations that are happening here and now, and beginning to relate to the mind with a open awareness, with a, uh, I think a, a healthy sense of skepticism is useful as you investigate, as we look at our minds, what's my mind up to? How often, uh, how often is our mind wrong? How often do you think you're wrong? You know, it's just part of that. Like as you start to meditate and watch your mind, I don't know about you, but before I started meditating, I just believed pretty much everything my brain said to me. And then you start meditating, and you're seeing like, oh, wow, there's a lot of bullshit going on in here. There's a lot of stuff that's not true. It's not accurate. It's not, you know, it's based in fear and, and confusion and self-centeredness. And it's uh, not wisdom. I mean, how, how much of your thoughts are wisdom? Uh, you know, sometimes it depends on, you know, how long you've been meditating and how uh, ethical you're living your life and how much you've been training your mind. It changes over the years of practice. But the untrained mind, you know, when you're starting this process, the untrained mind isn't very trustworthy, isn't very wise. There's a, a place in the teachings where the Buddha says, um, you know, part of what we're doing in meditation and in mindfulness is like uh, training the monkey mind. And so sometimes you look at your mind and the third foundation and you see it's just swinging to the future and it's swinging to the past and it's all self-centered based thoughts about me and mine and, you know. And that part of what we're doing in mindfulness is just bringing awareness to that is taming is training the mind, just bringing kind, non-judgmental, oh, planning again, remembering again, resenting again, craving again, just bringing that presence to like, oh, look what my mind is up to, rather than, and it, it is that shift from I am thinking to my mind is thinking. Because you sit down in meditation, you say, I'm not going to think about anything on some level. I'm not going to intentionally, I'm not here to plan. I'm here to observe. I'm not here to remember or reflect. I'm here to observe. And so non-volitionally, you start to see so much of what my mind does is all by itself. I'm not trying to think about the future, but my mind keeps thinking about worrying, planning. I'm not trying to think about the past, but my mind keeps saying, hey, remember that painful shit that happened? Don't forget that. All by itself, the mind produces these thoughts. So the third foundation is so um, transform, 
transformative because on some level it helps us see more clearly have more discernment what thoughts are intentional what thoughts are non-intentional non-volitional having some healthy skepticism awareness of like oh this is just craving again naming it craving oh my mind's craving pleasure again fear aversion oh my mind's afraid again naming what's happening all of these trainings and mindfulness first foundation of the body second foundation of the feeling tones pleasant unpleasant neutral third foundation of what's happening both mentally and emotionally because all of our emotions are thought based too even though we very much experience them somatically in our bodies it's the mind that is sad the body is experiencing the sadness it's the mind that is angry the body is experiencing the anger it's the mind that is loving the body is that experiencing the loving there's no uh difference there's no you know split between the you know it's not either mental or physical emotions are connected to our minds both and mind and body The Buddha said, the more we pay attention, the more we bring this kind of mindfulness, is there's three liberating insights. I talked about the first one. The more we're mindful, present time, non-judgmental, investigative awareness, the more we will come to understand that everything is impermanent. Directly, not theoretically, not knowledge of impermanence. You, you already know it but that our meditative investigation will lead to wisdom, insight, direct understanding that everything is impermanent. And the more we truly, I shouldn't use this term, but I'm going to grasp, <laughs> the more we truly understand impermanence, the more we let go. Because if you're really awake to impermanence and you say, every time I'm clinging, I'm creating unnecessary suffering towards, a, you know, in relationship to something that's impermanent. So the wisest thing to do is non-attachment, let go. It's impermanent, it's changing. When I cling, I suffer. When I let go, no suffering, no hands, no problem. Mindfulness reveals the impermanent nature of all things leads to non-attachment. Mindfulness reveals that because everything is impermanent, also everything is unreliable. Everything is on some level uh, unsatisfactory ultimately. There's a lot of temporary satisfactions we get from pleasant experiences. But we start to wake up to those temporary pleasant experiences are not the source of true happiness. They're just fixes. Yeah, we can get, you know, that pleasant experience. And, and then we start to see, oh, my chasing of pleasant experiences actually has led me into a ton of suffering. <laughs> 
because I've mistaken pleasure for happiness. And now I constantly think I need pleasure in order to be happy. And this repetitive craving, chasing the next pleasant experience. But it's all impermanent. And no pleasant experience is going to work. Impermanence reveals the unsatisfactory nature of pleasure. So temporary, you know, and it's not, you know, of course, we all know it's temporarily, we all like pleasure, it feels great. We like delicious things and beautiful things and pleasant things, you know, of course, but it doesn't actually work for the kind of happiness, well-being that we really want. It has to, our happiness has to include the impermanent, unpleasant, the unpermanent, painful or boring learning to be one of my teachers who said, if you want to really be, do this Buddhist thing, you're going to have to learn to be bored, learn to be hungry, learn to be lonely. If you want happiness, right? And this is so fucking counter. Wait a minute. That, I'm signing up for boredom and hunger and loneliness. Wrong religion. Fuck this. But it also makes sense. Oh, I want to be at ease all of the time. And that's going to include being lonely sometimes. That's going to include being hungry sometimes. That's going to include being um, with all of the different unpleasant experiences. It's impossible to create pleasure all of the time. All right, well, we only have five more minutes. So any questions, clarifications? I didn't get all the way there, but I got as far as I'm gonna to get tonight. Does it make sense how mindfulness leads to, oh, so that was the third one I didn't get to, impermanence, the unreliable and accepting the unreliable. And the third, which is starting to understand how impersonal it is. We take everything so personal our thoughts, we're so identified. And as we bring mindfulness to our thoughts, we start to see the mind has a mind of its own. It thinks all by itself. It judges, it fears. It's, it's also one of the functions of Sangha, of community, of listening to the Dharma teachings, of talking to each other about it and seeing like, oh, everyone is self-centered, craving, fear-based. It's just the human condition. It's not your fault. It's not that personal. And we wake up to the impersonal or the not self nature of things. Mindfulness reveals that. So any questions, comments, clarifications, please. So you were mentioning that when you're sitting to meditate and you notice that all of your mind's going automatically, right? And some things are wisdom, right? And some things aren't. So How would one know? Because I know for me, sometimes it's like, I feel so wise. And then the next week, I'm like, that wasn't very wise. So, so I guess we're talking about not qualifying. Not judging, yeah. Or not, yeah. So, but then you mentioned wisdom. So I guess I, it just made me think so. Um, it's a it's a great question. Couple of 
brief things. One is we are trying to develop the discernment and it's the right question. How do I know when it's wisdom and when it's ignorance masquerading as wisdom? Because so often we think, I'm for sure this is wisdom. This is the right thing to do. And then in retrospect, we're like, oh, I was totally confused and I really shouldn't have, you know, caused the harm that I thought was justified at the time or whatever it was. The biggest test in Buddhism is, is it leading to any suffering? If it is wisdom, it might be unpleasant, right? Sometimes like sitting here in meditation, it's a wise thing to do, but it can be unpleasant turning towards our difficult emotions, very wise thing to do, but it can be, but we're not creating more suffering by turning towards our pain. We're actually developing compassion. So we have to get out of that. Was it pleasant or unpleasant? But if it was wisdom, it was leading at least long-term, it was leading to alleviating suffering and not creating more suffering. So often we do have to do exactly what you're saying, I think, which is in retrospect. I think I'm making the right decision in this moment, but that humility of, I could be wrong. I might be fucking this whole thing up, but this is my best thinking in this moment. And so I'm gonna go with it. There's something also to kind of consultation with other people and uh, in Buddhism, we have the five uh, precepts, you know, am I telling the truth? Am I taking anything that's not offered? Am I being careful with my sexuality? Am I avoiding intoxicants or any kind of violence? You know, so looking at all of those, because sometimes your mind says like, you know, this is an appropriate time to be violent. But then you have the precepts and like, actually, there's no appropriate time to be violent. Maybe some self-defense or whatever different conversation, but no appropriate time to be violent, no appropriate time to steal or to lie. You know, the way we can justify your mind be like, you know, this is, it would be really kind to lie to this person because it would hurt their feelings if you told them the truth. And we justify that sort of unethical, like, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I'm going to lie to you rather than I'm going to find a skillful way to be honest. Um, so a lot of it is in, in retrospect of like, yeah, I spent a lot of my life lying and a lot of my life you know, stealing or whatever it was. And I thought that it was wise to do that. And now I'm waking up to all of the karma that I created behind that dishonesty or that violence or that indulgence in the next sense pleasure. There's a teaching from the Buddha to this community where somebody asks him something like this. Uh, and he says, you know, trust your direct, you know, through mindfulness, trust your direct experience. If it leads to more suffering, it's not wisdom. It's not truth. If it leads to the alleviation of suffering, trust that. That's the Dharma you can trust. Is it helping you not suffer? Kind of a broad. But I think that's the way for us to think about it. Yeah. Okay, we're out of time for tonight. Mindfulness works is what I wanted to say. Um, and a little bit about how it works and we can continue the conversation next week if you'd like. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization that is fully supported by the generosity of the people who attend both online through the Zoom group or here in person. Um, the drop-in Monday class, free of charge, supported by donation. Your generosity is necessary 
for us to continue to function as a meditation center. Please be as generous as you can be. Consider becoming a monthly supporter of Against the Stream. If you feel inspired by what we're doing and want to support the organization, you can uh, online sign up and say, I want to give 25 or 50 bucks a month or whatever feels appropriate to you. Um, suggested donation for drop-in is $20, $25. If you can afford that, please do it. If you can't afford it, no, you're welcome here anyways. Give what feels appropriate to you. I have a day-long meditation retreat in July. What's the date? 18th? 16th. 16th. I keep fucking up the date. July 16th. It's a Sunday, um, which is just, you know, a month away, three weeks away, where we'll spend the whole day sitting and walking and practicing this mindfulness for foundations. So um, join us. You can sign up online on againstthestream.com. hope some of you come and you can also join us on Zoom. We'll do the hybrid uh, for people who are at home that can't make it to the center. I think that's it. What am I forgetting? Sebastian, anything else? I have a seven-day retreat in um, Running Springs, kind of Big Bear Lake Arrowhead in the fall in um when is it september september 8th september 8th through, uh, 8th through 15th. 15th seven day residential silent meditation retreat you're all invited um, there is of course a charge to register we do try to raise some uh, scholarship funds if you do want to attend and and you can't afford it let us know and we'll do what we can to uh, make sure you get to come if you want to May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared with all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.